Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, lead pastor Matt Dean continues our series following Jesus in Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 14. And for the past uh, 14 weeks, we've been working through Mark's gospel. If you're new this morning or just joining us, Mark's gospel was written to the first century church under the threat of imminent persecution. And as Peter was helping Mark and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as they were recounting the life and ministry of Jesus, it's all pointing to this chapter where Jesus would be in the final days of his earthly ministry, preparing to be on the cross. And Mark chapter 14 is the longest chapter in Mark's gospel, and we're just going to cover the first 31 verses this morning. But as we jump into this this morning, I want you to remember that all of this was written to encourage early believers to have confidence in the face of imminent persecution and threat to fully trust in Jesus. This was written to the church to encourage them and to equip them to trust in Jesus. And I want you this morning, to, in your heart, to draw near to God, to trust him for where you are. Don't just listen for information or for notes of trivia. Listen to the king of all kings who in these pages of scripture was stepping intently towards the cross to redeem you and to redeem me, to make forgiveness possible for you and forgiveness possible for me. And with that in mind, with the tender mercy of God in mind that we do not deserve, I do not deserve, let's hear what Mark has to say about what Jesus has done. It says, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Now in the West, we don't really think about this a whole lot, but this, this Passover feast was the most important feast in Judaism, and it was highlighting the miraculous deliverance of Israel from Egypt and highlighting God's protection. It was a regular part of the Israelite calendar to celebrate Passover. And this story, if you want further study, it's found in Exodus chapter 12 in the Old Testament where the lamb's blood was put on the doorposts and it provided coverage and shelter from God's judgment against all the firstborn in Egypt. And that judgment by God over the firstborn in Egypt was to put Pharaoh over the edge and to, for him to finally say, relent, I give up, please leave. And so all the firstborn livestock and all the firstborn children in Egypt were struck down by a destroyer. But God in his mercy and love for his people in captivity said, if you will slaughter a lamb and place its blood over the doorpost, all that are in the house will be spared. And it was a picture of what is to come that all who were covered under the Lamb of God, Jesus, all who were covered under his blood will be spared from God's righteous judgment and wrath against sin. And this parallel of Jesus here in Jerusalem during the Passover, it would point to a greater salvation, a greater protection, and a greater eternal covering from God's wrath for his people. This story, it picks up in verse three where Mark refers back to a story that happened at Bethany. And it says, while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now we, we just read that, but if we don't remember, no one would go into the house of leprosy. Had Simon not been healed, this story would not 
have happened. So we know that it says, while Jesus was at Bethany in Simon's house, the leper, we know that Jesus brought healing to Simon. There was previous relationship there with Simon through the ministry and healing of Jesus. And it says, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. That's a year's wages in essence. And they scolded her, but scolded, it falls short. They severely, they crossly, they criticized her. They were angry at her. And Jesus, often as he does in these moments where a crowd is angry with a woman, says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. That word in Greek is not just good, but it's good attached with inherent beauty. So it's not just a good deed. This is a beautiful thing that she has done to me. Jesus goes on to say, for you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Think about that. This woman's whole life response to Jesus, bringing her first and best to Jesus, anointing him before his very real death in the days to come. This would be the only anointing that Jesus would get before his death on the cross. And she brought her first and her best and she poured it over his head. And the amount that she poured over his head, it would have covered his whole body. It would, have, it would have dripped down to his feet. And we see in John's gospel, this same account, but the oil is now down all the way to the feet of Jesus. It says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So Mark says it began here. John says it ended up at his feet. The reality is this expensive oil would likely have just flowed all the way down. And we see that now at the feet of Jesus, this costly, costly offering is now being wiped with her hair. And it says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, was angry. Why? Was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Judas was about to betray Jesus. He was angered at his loss of potential revenue, but this woman brought her first and her best, and she left it all with Jesus. And in bringing her first and her best to Jesus, he said, wherever the gospel's proclaimed, you're gonna hear about her. What faith, what trust, what, what adoration on her part to bring everything she had to him? How goes that with you? Can you bring your first and best in Jesus? Not because he won't love you more, or not because you're trying to be better for him, but what, what does it look like for me or for you to say, God, I give you my first and best of my, of my attention, of my 
affection, of my possession, of my life, of my goals. I'm, I'm bringing me to you and giving you me because of what you've given me in salvation and in the cross. And it's just a reminder of what, it, what moves the heart of God is faith and surrender when we bring our best to him. And it's, it's not just in giving, it, it's, it's our lives. When we bring our best, the best of our lives to him, where he's the first thought in the morning and the last thought at night. And he's, it's what Paul says, to pray without ceasing, to have fellowship with God without ceasing. R.C. Sproul says, Mary came with her priceless possession and gave all of it to anoint him before he died. This was one of the most sacrificial, extravagant, and heartrending gifts of all time. She brought her first and best to Jesus. What does it look like for me or for you to bring your first and best to him? We continue on in Mark. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity, the word in Greek, a convenient opportunity to betray him. And then the scene changes, the camera angle changes, so to speak. And it says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go? and prepare for you to eat the Passover. This was a significant meal. This was a four-hour gathering of worship to remember God's saving power from Egypt. So all families would be gathered around for this Passover meal. This was a sacred gathering moment for families and friends to think about God's saving power. And his disciples are saying, where should we go to prepare this meal for you? And it says, and he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Well, just so you know, men did not carry jars of water in this time, this is a very specific instruction, and these guys are walking in going, okay, is there, is there a man carrying water? They, they find this man, Jesus says, follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room, and where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready, there you should prepare for us. The disciples are listening, and they're like, that's very specific instructions, but he's the God of the universe, and he, he, he knows how to route traffic through Jerusalem. It says, And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, just, just for us to, to wrap our hearts around this, how many of you are familiar with what goes into a Passover meal? Not many. Not many of us. And so I just, for you to think about this properly with the biblical context, I want to just, there, there are several ways to think about the Passover meal. That's what's contained in Hebrew scriptures, which is very specific. Then there's the rabbinic tradition, what the rabbis have developed over time. And then there's what a modern day interpretation of the Passover meal would be done. And then there's what Christians, how Christians can see that. And depending on what site you Google, what commentary you read, there are some similar but slight variations of this Passover meal. So I wanna give you the big picture of what would have been happening in this Passover meal, but how we are to see Jesus as the fulfillment of this Passover meal. So what goes into preparing a Passover meal? The word Seder in Hebrew means order. Okay, so each element of this meal is to remind the Israelites of God's saving power and protection. There was a lamb shank. Sometimes it's chicken, sir, but if we go back to Exodus 12, it was a lamb that was slaughtered and burned. And so there's a lamb shank that's served, and this lamb is served as a reminder of God's salvation. It was the blood of the lamb on the doorpost that spared the people from the destroyer. Think about it like this in John 1. John the Baptist, this is what he says the next day. He saw Jesus coming towards him. And John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this unleavened bread, there's matzah bread pre-COVID, we would serve this 
with communion. There's some still back in the kitchen if you want to take a look at it, but it's just this flat bread with stripes and with holes in it. And there's no, there's no yeast because yeast would be equivalent to sin in the Old Testament context. And the reason why this unleavened bread is flat and without yeast is because on the night of their rescue, there was no time for the bread to rise. It was flat on purpose, dry on purpose, and they were to eat it in haste. It was a reminder of their escape from Egypt. But this is also what you should know. This is from Deuteronomy 16. It says, and you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. And you will eat no, unleavened, no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste that all the days of your life, that all the days of your life, that all the days of your life you will remember when you came out of the land of Egypt. Or think about Isaiah 53. This is fulfilled in Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds or by his wounds, we are healed. And when you see this matzo bread, when you see the stripes and when you see the holes, and later on when we get into the Lord's Supper, you will see Jesus saying, this is my body broken for you. This is a a perfect picture. Another element of this meal is parsley or or it would be called carpus. And it was a reminder of the the hyssop that was used, it was dipped and it was used to apply this blood of the lamb to the doorposts. And this parsley is also dipped in salt water to remind the Israelites of the salt water in the Red Sea that was split with God's miraculous saving and the sadness that they experienced while enslaved. And then there's another element of these, these bitter herbs, or, or maror is what it's called, and it's likely horseradish or a very strong bitter herb, and it's just a reminder of the bitterness of slavery and the fact that they had no temple to worship. They had no means for sacrifice. And then another element is this kerosene. It's this sweet mixture of apples, nuts, wine, and spices, and it's to remind them of the hope of salvation. Sometimes there is a roasted egg or a hard-boiled egg. This is also to remind them of their time away and the sacrifices that were burned in the temple. So that, that's kind of what's going on around the table as these disciples are preparing this meal for them. And I think over, over the centuries, that meal has been further developed, but at, the, at its essence, it was to remember God's saving power and the blood of the lamb. So we pick up in Mark and it says, and when it was evening, he came with the 12 and they were reclining at the table and eating. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? And he said to him, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. That's the setting what's going on. He's saying, one of you will betray me. And it says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Now, Jesus had Isaiah 53 in mind, being pierced by his stripes. These guys did not yet know. And it says, and he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to him and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, now you should know that in this Passover meal, there were four cups of wine. 
And each cup of wine represented something that was pulled out of Exodus chapter six. This is what Exodus six says. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment and I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So at this Passover meal, there were four cups. There were four cups based on this pattern that we see in Exodus. And the first cup was this cup of sanctification. I will bring you out. So during this meal, there would be the first cup of wine passed and everyone would take a sip and it was a reminder, I will bring you out. It's called the cup of sanctification. Then the next cup that is passed during the meal is this cup of judgment or a cup of plagues and that's well, I will deliver you. I will take you out of Egypt. So they, they pass the cup. They take a sip. They remember that this cup of judgment, they remember that the firstborn were struck down. They remember of God's miraculous saving power. Then this third cup, I will redeem you. It's the cup of redemption. Now we read the Bible and we don't, we don't think this, but the very cup of redemption is the cup that Jesus says, this is my blood poured out for you. This cup of redemption, I am that redemption. It wasn't an ordinary cup. It was a strategically planned cup of redemption. I am your redeemer. This is the redemption that I'm giving you in my blood. Luke helps us see this in his gospel account. Luke 22, it says, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That cup of redemption, that third cup of wine, he said, this, this cup is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. What an amazing, like, oh, to be there. To know the context and to know that when Jesus lifted that third cup, they would have known historically this is the cup of redemption. He was right there saying, I am, I'm redemption. And I'm gonna pour it out in my blood. And the new covenant will be established forever. It says, and then when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I wanted to just share with you what they would have sung after this meal. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. They would have sung this together. It's called the Hillel. Psalm 116, Psalm 117, Psalm 118. They would have sung, praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. They would have sang, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus is singing that. His disciples are singing that and they're walking to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. They've had this Passover meal. They've heard him say, he must go and die. And now he's saying in this Mount of Olives, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. How heartbreaking that must be for Peter to have heard. Truly, I think Peter loved Jesus. I think Peter meant what he said. I will not deny you. And when it came down to it, people are still people, including these disciples. But Jesus said emphatically, if I must, or Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. But look at this last line. They all said the same. We will not leave you. All the disciples, they all said, hey, we're with you. We're not gonna leave you. Here's the truth. They all left. Later on in this chapter, it says they all fled. I've been thinking about that, troubled by that, in one sense of going, these people that had seen the miracles of Jesus and his teachings and had been in the upper room and as Jesus saying, I must go and die, I must go and die, I have to go and die. They're like, we're, Jesus, we're with you. We're not gonna leave you. And even in our, even in our own life, like we'd, who wants to walk away from Jesus? Nobody. You know, no one that's truly been redeemed by him, no one that knows the mercy and forgiveness that he's given him. And I assure you, the truth is this, we've all been like Peter. I've been like Peter, I've been like the others, and there have been in our moments in our lives where we flat out deny Jesus. We love him, we trust him, we deny him, we resist him, we grieve him, we lie to ourselves and we lie to him. And if the gospel depended on our work and merit, who could stand? If your path to the Father depends on your goodness or your, the confidence of your salvation depends on your own righteousness, you're looking in the wrong direction for confidence. Only Jesus is qualified. And when we walk away, when we flee, I just wanna remind you, these men who walked with Jesus, they would ultimately give their lives. This is a reminder that although in a moment, because of sin, we may deny him, resist him, walk away or lie from him, with the whole of your life, you have an opportunity every day to walk to him, to believe in him, to walk with him, to acknowledge him, to trust in him, to rely on him. And we can see that these men who said, we'll never leave, and then they left, in the end with their lives, they were in fact with Jesus. And let me remind you of how these men would give their lives. Matthew was beheaded by sword in the name of Jesus. Mark died in Alexandria after he was drugged through the streets. Luke was hung on an olive tree in Greece. John was boiled in oil. Peter, oh Peter, was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. The other James was thrown down and beaten to death with clubs. Philip was hung. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten to death. Andrew was crucified and preached to his persecutors at the top of his voice during his execution. Thomas was speared to death. Jude was executed by arrows. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. And Barnabas was stoned and beheaded. And here's the thing. In a moment, we may, we may resist, grieve, lie, and disobey. And where sin abounds, his grace abounds. And I, please hear me, not in a way to cheapen grace, but to actually fully trust in grace. 
and the trajectory of your life is not increasing disobedience, but increasing obedience. It's not decreasing fruitfulness, it's increasing fruitfulness. Your relationship to sin, which lives in you but is not in you, should be increasingly, I hate that thing that I do, which I do not want to do anymore. The trajectory of your life should be with each passing day, I want to know you more, love you more, trust you more, obey you more, lie less, disobey less, think less about myself, think more about you, think less about who I am, think more about who you are. I want my eyes to be fixed on you, Jesus. That's the trajectory of your life. And it's possible by his grace that is so powerfully at work in all of us. Charles Spurgeon said this, nothing puts life into men like a dying savior. Get you close to Christ and carry the remembrance of him about you from day to day and you will do right royal deeds. Come, let us slay sin, for Christ was slain. Come, let us bury all our pride, for Christ was buried. Come, let us raise to newness of life, for Christ has risen. Let us be united with our crucified Lord and his one great object. Let us live and die with him and then every action of our lives will be very beautiful. What a great reminder. Last Sunday, last Saturday, I stood in a Nepalese church, many of which were former Tibetan Buddhists now believing and trusting in Jesus. And to follow Christ in that context, to leave one tradition and one culture and one way of thinking came at a great cost to many of those people. To to leave that way of life and to begin to faithfully follow Jesus means that everything bad that happens in your family will be blamed on you and blamed on Jesus. And to follow Jesus in that culture comes at a great high cost. And here we are gathered in this little room and I noticed that no one was in a hurry. And when we sang songs, no one was ready for the last verse to end. And when when it was all over, everyone was there and just kind of there because they're all they have. They're family, they're, they're the people of God. And Hoffman and I both were asked, to preach, and we said, well, how long? He goes, about an hour is, is fine. And we were like, okay, well, we can both get a Grace Auburn sermon in in this, in this context. And so I, I, was, I was like, what, what do I say? And I was praying. I was like, what, what, can I, what can I say to these people? And this is what came to mind. Philippians, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And this is what I said to them. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others and have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God the thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have now always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out, not for, work out, live out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling. Look at this last verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And in that little room, yes, yes, yes. And I say to you and I say to me, we are to work out our salvation, to live it out, to, to walk in humility before God and to acknowledge him in all of our ways. And I just wanna challenge you this morning. What does it look like for you to walk in fellowship with Jesus? Not, not five minutes in the morning or not just on Sundays in a service, but like in every waking moment, what does it look like for you to know Jesus in increasing measure? And what's the point of all this? It's to know him. It's to know him. And I've been trying in my own heart and my own life to more frequently acknowledge him, to more consistently in my day step into his presence with prayer and adoration and acknowledging him because this is what I know. The more I live in his presence, the less I want to sin. The more I walk closely with him, the more confident I am in him. The more I hide his word in my heart, the greater my joy and perspective is in life. And on my last flight home, literally 36 hours of travel back, I sat down in this plane and next to me was a gentleman from Ghana and he was dressed from head to toe in Prada. And I was thinking about how the prosperity gospel has taken root in some sub-Saharan African countries. And I was thinking about the privilege of what the last seven days had been for me just to be in, in two very different places, the poverty of Nepal and the the, I can't even describe Dubai, how completely different those two locations were. So overwhelmed with the lostness, with the brokenness, with, with the competing worldviews. And then I just, I just, I started reading 1 John on the plane and I closed my eyes and I was listening to this song that talks about the blood of Christ that's set us free. And the whole flight home, eyes closed, worshiping Jesus. It didn't help the fact that from the flight deck, it said, folks, we're going to hit some moderate turbulence. <laughs> and I thought to myself, if I'm going down, if I'm going down, I'm going down in his presence. And I want you to know it doesn't take turbulence to remind me that I need Jesus. And I don't know where you are today, but if you are currently walking away from him, or fleeing him in the garden, so to speak, or lying to him or resisting him, this is the exact and precise moment you should turn around. If you've been resisting God or lying to God or lying to yourself, stop it right now and repent and get on your face before a holy God who loves you and has given Jesus for you. Quit your nonsense and come back to Jesus. There is no greater love than what he has given you in him. Let's pray. Father, it's hard to read Mark 14 and not know that Mark 15 is coming. So Lord, I just pray that as we step into the weeks ahead and consider the magnitude of the death of Christ and the even greater magnitude of his resurrection, Lord, that you would tender our hearts and draw us near to you, that we would walk faithfully with you today in this hour and in the hours to come. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. Even in this moment, in faith, we draw near to you 
confident of the work of Jesus. And I pray, God, that your word, by the power of your spirit, would settle in each heart that is listening today the next step you have for all of us. Lord, help us walk and live in your presence today. Help us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening this week. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Auburn Church, you can go online at graceauburn.church or you can download the Church Center app from the App Store or the Google Play Store on your mobile device.